Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. True faith is discovered in the midst of painful trials. The things that seek to derail our faith are actually the things that deepen it. This radical faith is not a feeling or a philosophy. It is practical, visible, built over time, strengthened in a trial, and sustained by discipline. James paints this picture of faith and gives us the principles necessary to produce it in us all. We have church when Laura gets fired up. It just, it just unleashes something in this room, man. Uh, it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome to Venice Church. Uh, we are glad that you are here today and chose to be here. And over the next few weeks, um, if, if, you, if you have never gone through anything hard or plan to go through anything hard, you don't need to come for the next few weeks. Uh, you can just stay at home. Like if, if, if your life is just good and perfect and rainbows and unicorns and you wake up every day and vomit lucky charms, then like you don't need to come to church because this series is going to be for the people that feel like you're being tested. Feel like you're going through things that are, are pushing at the edges of your faith. People who maybe are in the middle of that or, or have gone through that and, and you know the reality that you're going to go through it again. And I'm going to ask you to do something over the next few weeks. And, and uh, I, I won't really know if you commit to it or not. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through one book in the Bible. For five weeks, we're just going to chapter by chapter walk through the book of James. Uh, this started, I, I led a life group last semester uh, with a group of guys, and every Thursday we just gathered around for lunch, and we opened up the Word. And we just made a commitment to one another that we were going to read the same chapter of the book of the Bible together each week. We were going to gather up, bring some lunch if we had it or whatever over our lunch break, and talk about what we were learning. It wasn't any more planned or structured than that. We didn't get a Bible study tool. We didn't. We just basically brought in the Word of God, and we had spent the week prior to that Thursday reading through the Word together and talking about what we learned. And what I realized in that moment was, like, God was showing others in the group things that, that somehow I had missed, and I had caught things that somehow they had missed. And we just learned so much from each other during that time, and it was powerful. And it's just a reminder, I know that you hear us talk about life groups all the time, and there are still people in the room that think you don't need it, and you're wrong. You're wrong. Like, you need that space. And, it, and it's not as complicated as, as you might think it is, but we just went through the book of the Bible. And, and so, in a few weeks, we're going to be opening enrollment for life groups this semester. And, and I know you're busy, and I know you have a lot of good, legitimate reasons as to why you shouldn't and couldn't be in a life group. But let me just say, as the pastor who has authority over you, they are lies. <laughs> like, you need it, man. Like, you need it. Like, it's just... And, and, and because during that series, like God, the book of James has always been just one of those books. Whenever I meet new people that come to faith in Jesus recently, I always tell them, read the Gospel of John and read the book of James. Because the Bible can be intimidating, right? Like some of us grew up with it and we've been exposed to it our whole lives. And even those, us, like we, we are still really intimidated by the Bible. But then there's a lot of people that are sitting among you. Like they just found Jesus like 10 minutes ago. 
and to look at the Bible and, and, and see Genesis to Revelation, it can be super in, intimidating. But, but start with the Gospel of John and then go into the book of James. Because the Gospel of John gives you this beautiful portrait of the life of Jesus. And now that you've put your faith in Jesus, your, your goal in life is to make your life look like his. And we're going to unpack that again in September when we walk through our annual Live Love series. But then the book of James is, is, a, is, is how, how you kind of live this new faith in Jesus out. Because it's written by somebody that, that had to figure that out himself. Again, I remind you that the book of James is written by Jesus' baby brother, James. That yes, jo- Joseph and Mary had other children, like other kids, multiple kids, after Jesus. And, and you can only imagine what it must have been like to live in Jesus' shadow. I mean, I've said it before. Like, I mean, that, was, that had to be challenging and frustrating. And we know that, that James didn't really come to full faith in Jesus till after the resurrection. Like, what does it take for you to believe your brother is God? He comes back from the dead and predicts it. And he's writing to the church in this really vulnerable state. When James writes this book to the believers in the area of Jerusalem, these churches right here, like the, the, the movement that Jesus began is really, really in its infant stages. I mean, you're talking about when this book is penned, you're just 10, 20 25 years, maybe 30 years at most, away from, from when Jesus rose from the dead. And the, and the church, and I don't think we realized how vulnerable it was. This was in a moment when there was a chance the church wasn't going to make it. Because to be a believer in Jesus in that season was difficult. And I know that you think you live in a culture that makes it difficult to, leave in G, to believe in Jesus, but you ain't got a clue. Like, you're going to leave here today, and you're going to go to the Bojangles and get you a Cajun filet biscuit. Glory to God. Come on. And you're going to pray over that meal without really any worry of what's going to happen to you as you bow your head. And I know that seems really simplistic, but, but you don't even understand that there are places in this world now where that cannot be done. But in this time, like you're, you're moving into persecution. Like at, at this point, Stephen has already been stoned. The first one to give his life for the faith in the book of Acts. And now just to, to make any kind of profession of faith in Jesus puts you at risk of death. And so James is writing like, the, see the church is only going to make it if people's faith in Jesus remains intact. And there's so much challenge to their ability to stay true to Jesus in this moment. And they're, James is writing to this culture and, and, and he He's trying to communicate some things to them that, that really matter so, so that this thing actually will survive. And that's what, like, my whole life, my whole adult life has been in ministry. And I've watched people walk through things and experience things that their faith didn't survive. And almost on a weekly basis, I sit across from somebody and I have a conversation. I walk out of their conversation and my prayer is this, Lord, help their faith to survive what they're in right now. Because there are people sitting around you like, like going through really difficult tests. And it's, it's pushing them to the very edge of belief. And James is writing to those people. And what I think we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is, all right, how do we build? And this is the only way I can think of it. How do we build spiritual muscle? How do we build spiritual muscle? 
so that when the heaviness of the things of life get on our shoulders, we're able to lift it and keep stepping forward. So that's who this series is for for the next few weeks. The people that need spiritual muscle to endure whatever it is, the test that looks like. And this is, can we be honest? Like every one of us are probably right now in some form of testing. Some are more severe than others, but you look around the people around you and you think because of the severity of your test seems like it's greater than the severity of their test, then their test is insignificant. That is really easy for you to say. Come on. But like every day, your faith gets tested in some way through some form of temptation or some form of difficulty. And so I was in that kind of season as we, I walked through this book with our, our life group. You ever been in a season where, like, really, y- you walk through the day with one of two emotions, angry or sad? Can I get real in church for a little while? Have you ever been in that place? Where you're, you're either, you got, you got two emotions that are dominant in your life, angry or sad. And you know, like, if something doesn't snap, if something doesn't break, if something doesn't switch, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're going to do. And what's really frustrating is when you don't really know why you're sad or why you're angry. I ain't planning to talk about any of this. But I've been in, anybody ever been in that spot? Come on, somebody say amen. You've been in that spot. And, and, it's, gonna t- and it's one of those things that, like, there's nothing anybody can do. Getting a raise ain't going to fix it. Uh, even a new pair of sneakers won't do it. Like, it's something that, like, that, that God has to do in your spirit to break you out. Because, because or maybe you, you do know why you're there. And the why that you're there ain't going away. And you need to be, build some spiritual muscle. So that you can keep lifting and keep stepping and keep striving and keep moving forward. Because the struggle is realer than real. And you need to move forward. So the next few weeks, we're going to learn some things from the book of James. And I'm just going to share some things that God has taught me. And I hope it makes sense. So, Father, I pray that as we dive into your word today, that, Lord, you would use this time to speak into our hearts, that you would use this time, God, to help us to understand what we need to understand from your word so that we can live out what you've called us to live out. God, speak through your word now. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I, I want you to do me a favor. Would you, would you be willing to commit for, throughout this series, whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're reading, just kind of hit pause on that for a little bit. And over the next few weeks, there are five chapters in the book of James. And, and they're, they're not super lengthy. Not every chapter is a Harry Potter book, okay? It's, it's, it's short chapters that you can read in a very quick amount of time. But from now until the end of this series, for the next few weeks, just on Monday, read chapter 1, Tuesday, chapter 2, Wednesday, 3, Thursday, 4, Friday, chapter 5. Just, just would you commit to doing that? I'm, I'm never going to be able to know because I'm not, I'm not asking you. But just... I think it would be cool. What if, if all of us that call Vintage Church home just got engrossed in the same book of the Bible for a few weeks? Just kind of, just collectively, we dove into uh, to the Word together and, and just made a commitment. All right, all right, James chapter 1 every Monday, 2 every Tuesday, and, then so, and just for the next, not for the rest of your life, but just for the, for the next few weeks, 
And then I'll ask you to go a step for, further. Well, as, you're, as God's teaching you things, would you, would you just share it with us? Would you share it? I'll tell you what, would you share it with me? I'm about to do something I probably shouldn't do. Matt, M-A-T-T, at vintagechurch.net. That's my personal email. Dear Lord, my, no, never mind. Lyle, L-Y-L-E, at. As God is teaching you, would you share with me what you're learning? And can I go and get your permission to use it in a sermon if it's good? Just, just share it with me. Just tomorrow, as you read James chapter 1, as God shows you something or teaches you something other than, I'm going to do chapter 1 today. But just tell, tell me what you're learning. Because, like, I need what you're learning. I need what you're learning. Yeah, you need what I'm learning, but I need what you're learning. Because I, gotta, I, I know God's going to show you things that I miss. Because, see, the Bible is meant to be learned and shared in community. Like, we need it together. So just for the next few weeks, just dive in. And we're going to, let's just start today. I'm not going to read all of chapter 1, but I want to just, there's a, a portion of chapter 1 that God just kind of zeroed my heart in on. And I learned just some things from these verses that I want to just quickly share with you with the time we have left this morning. Start with verse 2. James chapter 1, pick up with verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Drop down to verse 12. Because see, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. And death, when it's full grown, gives, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. See, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, automatically, when I start reading, just I, I got stuck on just the first couple of verses. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, James, that seems a little bit of an unfair ask. And, like, I've, I've read those verses and read those verses. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because I think when you, when you, when you first read that, it... You almost feel like James is asking you to be happy about something there's no way to be happy about. And that just doesn't seem fair. And I'm reminded why, why so many of us get frustrated with God and so many unbelievers think we're crazy. Like, in the midst of, joy, of trial of many kind, consider that to be joy. And I think when we first read those verses, we get this, this image of that like no matter what we walk through, we got to walk around. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. 
And we get really good at that. A few years ago, we were, we were at the beach, and my son was doing, doing backflips into the pool, just backflips in the pool over and over again. And the pool has this little ledge. Was, it, the pool had one of those little things where you could get down in the water and kind of sit on, and you were just like a couple feet in the water. And I kept saying, Aiden, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to kill yourself. Like, you're going to hurt yourself. Stop doing backflips. And you know what he did? He kept doing backflips. I'm a terrible parent. I don't know what I, I he, he kept, and then all of a sudden he does one backflip and he comes up out of the water and I see a trickle of blood coming down his cheek. And I look down and I say, Aiden, you hit your face, didn't you? No. I said, Aiden, you hit your face. No, I didn't. And his blood is just gushing down his face. And I walk over and he closes his eye and he has about a quarter inch gatch in his eyelid and it's just filleted open. I said, you hit your head. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said, then why is blood pouring out of your eye, boy? It's evident that something is wrong. And you're continuing to tell me it's not. And I think that's what we think that James is saying. Is to walk around with this fake smile. To live life in complete pretense. Acting as if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't matter, I'm not angry, and I'm not frustrated. And if that's where we land on it, that's a hard verse to swallow, isn't it? And can I just say, I don't, don't really think that's what he means. Let me, this is what I wrote down. Pain is endured when purpose is understood. Pain is endured when purpose is understood. This is what I'm convinced of. Like we can, we can walk through incredible pain if we believe it has an intentional purpose. Right? Like it doesn't matter what we go through. Like when, when we can see purpose in the pain, we can, we can, we can endure it. Amen? Like when we, when we see purpose in the pain, we can endure the pain. But here's the problem. So often we can't see purpose in the pain. It's hard for us to see it in the moment because we walk through things and we think, you know, there's no way that anything good can come from this. There's no way, like, if there is purpose in the, and then this is the other thing too, when, when I say that, it's often to think, well, our pain is caused by God so he can accomplish our purpose. And I don't think that's what it means either. I think it's saying, like, that, that God can bring purpose, can bring purpose out of any pain. Not that he causes it, not that he generates it, not even necessarily that he desires it for us. But on the other side of it, God can do amazing things in it. And I don't think James is saying be, be happy about it. Don't be happy that it happened. But understand that because of the goodness and grace and mercy and power of your God, that even the most devastating things can be used for his glory and your good. And because you know that, you can know that someday you can have joy out of what you're going through in this moment. That, that it's not necessarily joy in it, but there can be joy from it. That you might not feel joy in it. See, because it's not, it's not about the emotion of happiness. It's, it's about this perspective that we can have. I think about where scripture talks about Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. I don't think, joy, I don't think Jesus had, a, had, a, had much joy on the cross. I think it was painful and it hurt. But the joy was still in him because he could see the benefit of him going to the cross from the other side.
he could see that on the other side of the cross there was, there was purpose. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through many kinds. Not, not because it, it also doesn't mean that you don't have the right to hurt or grieve or be frustrated. It doesn't mean that when you go through something hard, you can't cry and yell and scream. Because I think like that's what we do it. It's like, like I, hit my, I hit my thumb with a hammer. Like, yes! As if like when, when somebody dies, we should be happy about it. Well, you know where they're going. Yeah, I know where they're going, but I'm missing where they were. doesn't mean that, that as believers we can't have moments of, of sadness and frustration, but what we do is we endure it and, we, and it doesn't cause us to waver in our trust in God and our obedience to God because we know that on the other side he is able to do something that we don't feel like or it doesn't seem like he can do now. So when you face trials and joy, it's not that you're happy that they're happening, but you know that because, even though they happen that God can still do something good on the other side. Does that make sense to anybody in the room? That because if, 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 if you don't get to that place, if you don't, if you don't see that, that, that something can be accomplished in God's will and purposes out of whatever it is you're going through, it will crush you. It will crush you. And notice, I'm not saying that like in it you have to make sense of it right now. It's saying it's believing that God can have purpose in it on the other side. You with me? Say amen. Another thing I learned from this chapter is you got to define the struggle to develop a strategy. You got to define the struggle to develop the strategy. See, most of the things that we have to go through, we're going to need a plan to get through it. Come on. Like, we're going to need a strategy for, for enduring what we're going through so that it doesn't crush us. We're going to need, like, certain people that we're going to lean on. We're going we're gonna to need the church. We're going to need a plan. Like, we're gonna, like, if we're going to endure what we're going through, then there's some strategic things that we have to do every single day to stay true to our faith. That's why spiritual disciplines are important. That's why, like, you know what? You, without the strategic plan to pray in the midst of pain, you will abandon prayer. So that means, you know what, even if I don't like it, even if I don't want to, even if I'm not sure something's going to come up with it, I'm going to make sure that I still get up at the time I'm supposed to get up and spend it with God and in his word, knowing that even if I don't feel like it, even if I go into it not really sure what could happen, because I've taken the time and the discipline to stay in it, that God can use it to bring me through it. If you wait till you feel like it to lean into God, you might never lean into God. You need a strategy. But to define the strategy, you got to define the struggle. Remember what he said, consider it pretty, when you face many kinds of trials. You know what that says to me? Here's some good biblical. When, when James says that there are many kinds of trials, I think he means there's many kinds of trials. Like trials come in many forms. That they're, not all trials are the same. That there are different types of trial, and to endure the different many types of trial, we've got to kind of be real about what, what the trial is and from where it came. If we're going to deal with it. Like we've got to, if, if we're going to endure the trial, we've got to kind of find the source of the trial. You know what I've found? That most of us go through trial by choice. That the trial you're experiencing is the result of your own choices.
that you are the reason why you're going through what you're going through. I sit in front of people and say, man, I don't know why I'm going through this. I do. you stupid. <laughs> Got real in church, didn't it? Like so many times, like why is God put, God is not putting you through this. You are putting you through this because you keep making the same bad decisions. You keep going down the same bad path, not because you have to, but because you keep choosing to. And so much of the adversity that you're having to navigate is because you keep choosing to do things that are unhealthy and dangerous and evil. And if you're going to develop the strategy to endure the trial, you need to have to identify the role that you're playing of putting yourself in it. Like so many of us, we're going through stuff that we never, we don't have to if we would just make some better choices. I guess the own decisions that we're making. And how can I, can I just, that's a, that's a majority of the people that I sit down with. I don't know why I'm broke, because you spend more money than you earn. I don't know why my marriage is in trouble, because you keep choosing to put her behind your work. I don't know why my kids are making these decisions, because you're not monitoring their social media. I don't know why I can't keep a job, because you ain't been to work on time in six months. Like some of the trials that we go through are from our own choosing. And what I've just, m most of our trial is by choice. Sometimes it's our choosing, but I know there are a lot of people in the room, you're going through trial as a result of someone else's choice. And that might be the most frustrating ones. That somebody within the circle of your life whose choices can often and always directly impact you keeps making those decisions and your trial is not a result of your own choice but the choices that they keep making and that is the most frustrating of them all but knowing that is important it keeps you because you, what you'll start doing is, is, is maybe taking blame when you don't need to or when you shouldn't and you'll start making it worse on you if you don't recognize their responsibility and yours what they can control and what you can't Like you need to identify these things because the key to enduring them is, 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 is being honest and real about their source and where they're coming from. And if you, if you don't kind of define the struggle, like why, why am I going through this? Is it my choices? Is it their choices? Is it like you can't begin to develop a strategy to get to the other side of it. And where you need to create boundaries and structure and things like that. But let me say this too. One of the things, there's a difference between a trial and a tragedy. Now, all tragedy is a trial, but not all trial is tragedy. Come on. There's a difference between trial and tragedy. There are some things that we go, like, uh, you know, trial is when you're, trying to learn patience and you pray for patience and you get stuck on 85 for seven hours. That's a trial. Losing a loved one unexpectedly and quickly and painfully, that's a tragedy. 
And it's important to know the difference. Because sometimes in our minds, we turn little trials into big tragedies. And sometimes in our faith, we expect people to treat tragedy like a simple trial. And it hurts our ability to help them through it. And you need to know the difference. Because you knowing the difference. And, and like, that's why it's important. That, like, how do, how do we know about wisdom? How do, James says, if you need wisdom, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So you're like, how do I know if it's my choices or their choices? How do, I, how do I have the wisdom to discern what to do in this situation? How do I have the wisdom? To, like, James says, ask God. Like your ability to endure the trial is going to be dependent on your ability to discern what's happening in it. And that discernment comes from the wisdom that only God can give. So he says, if you need wisdom to figure out what's happening and why it's happening, like you need to go to God about these things and seek him and trust him and pray and go after God to discover the wisdom that you need in order to endure the trial. Now, we can endure the pain when we understand its purpose. And when we define the struggle, we can develop the proper strategy to get on the other side of it. But authenticity, authenticity is revealed in adversity. Authenticity is revealed in adversity. You, you don't know how much faith you have until it's tested. Nobody is impressed with untested faith. You can, you can talk about how much you love Jesus. You can talk about how committed you are to God. You can talk about how surrendered you are when things are good. But your level of trust and faith in God will be measured when it bumps up against the hardships of life. Now, you don't know how true your faith is until it is tried. Authenticity is revealed in Adversity. I hear people go talk to me all the time, and I hear this language. Well, they went through this, and it wrecked their faith. They endured this trial, and it wrecked their faith. And I would submit to you that trial cannot wreck your faith. It can only reveal it. That the faith you think is wrecked maybe was never real to begin with. It was shallow, something fake and false and because it's easy to say, oh, God, I trust you when there's, all, when there's enough money in the bank account. It's easy to say, oh, God, I trust you when you get in the car and it cranks every morning. It's easy to say, God, I trust you when your kids are healthy. But when the opposite of all those things are happening, that doesn't, and you, and you walk away from God, it didn't, reveal, it didn't wreck your faith. It just revealed the lack of faith that was there maybe in the beginning. I know that seems really harsh, but I'm just speaking from personal experience. And when I've walked through things and my commitment to Jesus has wavered and my discipline and love for Jesus has wavered, I know it's because, God has said, it's because you don't believe in me like you say you do. And that faith is tested. So blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test, because that person will see the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. That in adversity, the authenticity of our faith is revealed. Final thing. Doubt creates distance leading to disobedience. 
Doubt creates distance that leads to disobedience. See, in, in the midst of trial, what happens is doubt begins to well up in us. You with me? And now, this is not what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying, like, there's, there's no room for, fat, for, for, for doubt and faith. Sometimes, I, you know, it's, I know we have questions and things like that, but you need to understand how dangerous doubt is because it creates distance. Follow me, okay? Whenever you're in a relationship with somebody and you begin to doubt if they sincerely love you and have your best interest at heart, you will begin to create distance between you and that person. Say amen. Like whenever you're in a relationship with somebody and you, begin, you get to the point where you doubt if they genuinely and sincerely love you and have your best interests at heart, you will begin to pull away. You will begin to create distance. That's the same way with you and God. If you get to this point where you, because you're in the midst of this trial, because you're walking through this pain, and it's not your fault, and it's not, you can't do anything about it, and it's outside of your control, and those are the ones that I think that create it even in, on deeper levels, that what you'll begin to do is put distance between you and God. Maybe it's drastic and all at once, or maybe it's little by little, that you're going through something difficult, and so you start to drift even, even away from the church, and start to put distance between you and the people of God. And you start to distance yourself from his word. And you start to distance yourself from times where you seek him. Like you'll begin to just create this divide. And here's the, this is why it leads to disobedience. is because obedience is the byproduct of intimacy. That we can only be completely and, and, and consistently obedient to God when we live in intimacy with him. So that we can hear his voice and distinguish it above all the other noise in our lives. You following me? It's an intimacy with God. That's why we, we, I don't push you and we don't push each other to, to, to stay in the word just out of happenstance. It's because when you have intimacy with God, you know him. And you can the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd because they live in intimate proximity with the shepherd. But when you begin to doubt and create that distance, his voice just begins to go and begin to get drowned out and it's getting harder and harder to distinguish and next thing you know you're following the voice of something other than God and in the midst of trial when you begin to doubt and that's why James says what he says but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind And this is not, let me clarify. I'm not, I'm not saying that in the midst of trial, it's not okay to doubt what's going to happen. I'm not saying that it's not okay to doubt the outcome. But listen to me. In trial, you can doubt whether or not good can come from it. But if you begin to doubt whether or not he is good in it, you'll begin to create distance. Let me say it again. In the midst of the difficulty, it is okay and it is normal to doubt if any good can come from it. But if you start doubting if he is good in it, you'll begin to distance yourself from him and the intimacy will be severed and your ability to obey him will be lost. And that's why James tries to remind us that, remember, he's good. Remember that when you're tempted, do not say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to, 
it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. But do not deceive. Be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived. Like, don't let your emotions convince you of something that is not true. Remember that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. That remember in all of this, when nothing seems good, he is good. When it seems like it is impossible for anything good to come from this, that you can doubt in that moment if good can come from it, but you have to remain and hold to believe that he is still good in it because that will keep you close to the one, the only one that has the power to see you through. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want to talk to the people that are in the midst of trial and tragedy. People that are going through things that are just annoying and people that are going through things that are absolutely devastating. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that God is good in it. And that if it's not good, that God is not done and something can happen. And this is what I'm going to ask you just to do. For those of you that maybe have started to kind of create some distance between you and God because what you've gone through has not just caused you to doubt where the good can come from, it has caused you to doubt whether or not God is good in it. Will you take some steps back toward God today? I'm not saying that maybe today's going to erase all the distance that doubt has created, but maybe just close that gap a little bit. Let him begin to heal some of the pieces of your heart that maybe have been broken or and as we worship, will you just let him whisper into you that he is good again? That you can trust him and you can have faith in him, that he is your refuge and your fortress, and just allow some healing to happen. Father, meet with us now. Speak to our hearts. May we feel your comfort and peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our Deeper Podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.